This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. Hey, you guys can take a seat while you're doing that. Tell the person next to you, it looks like you've lost a little weight. It looks like... <laughs> Even if, even if you haven't, right, it feels good, doesn't it, when somebody says you've lost some weight? Because we've been in this journey uh, called Fresh that we're wrapping up today. Uh, we've, we've taken kind of the four areas that most of us set goals for at the beginning of a new year on faith and on fitness and on finances, right? And these have been really uh, just a catalyst, just kind of a motivating message to come alongside of the goals that you've set. It wasn't intended to kind of sustain you and take you through these changes that you want to see externally in your life, but it was kind of to be a catalyst to start the change internally. And we say that any change that we want to see externally really has to start there with this heart change in all these areas of faith and finances, and fitness, and today is no different. We're gonna wrap it up talking about the family. Now here is the, the, the dilemma, the challenge when talking about the family. Some of you in this room are, are, are coming from all different kinds of family backgrounds, all different kind of pictures of what the family looks like. Some of you might say, I don't even have a family, or my family's not here, my family's older, they're spread out all over. So I worked really hard to bring a message this week that I think will benefit Everyone in this room, despite where you come from, despite whether you have a family here or not, uh, despite if you, if you have a family or if, or if uh, you have a family that you don't want to have, then this is going to apply to you as well today because we all know really that families can be challenging. In fact, the, a lot of times the source of our greatest struggle and pain has to do with our family and those in our, in our lives. But also our families can be the source of our greatest strength as well and joy in our lives. And there's so many different things that are working against the family, but your family can be fresh. Your family can be awesome, but it won't be awesome by accident. That it's going to take hard work. It's gonna take some work to get there because of all these things working against your family, not to uh, list them all out, but you know, you have cultural forces working against the family. There are spiritual forces working against your family, economic forces all working against your family. They all want to destroy the idea of the family, more specifically, your family. So today, my hope is to bring us a fresh perspective on how to have a fresh Family, fresh family. And Nehemiah 4.14 is gonna be our launching point today. This was written um, a long time ago when the families of, of Jerusalem were rebuilding the wall and they were being attacked you know, during this rebuilding process. So Nehemiah stands up and here's what he says. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. And what's that next word? And fight. Everybody say fight. 
Fight like you mean it, like you want to get into a fight. Fight. He says, fight. Well, that was really good over there somewhere. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. In other words, families are worth the fight. And fresh families, I believe, are fighting families. There's a title to this message today. We're calling it a fresh family fight. If you want to jot down some notes, you could start there. A fresh family fight. They're worth the fight. And again, it, you know, if your kids have, have left the home or if you have really small ones, it doesn't matter. Don't give up. That they're worth the fight. And remember that our God is great and glorious. That it's not too late. Your circumstances are not too great because our God is great and glorious. Now, what I don't have is years and years and years of experience, personal experience. You know I have four boys, uh, starting at 12 years and down, all right? So I don't have all this um, kind of family experience, and I know I'm getting into a season, and all the seasons are different, and all the seasons have their challenges of their, their own, and there are people in this room that are probably more qualified to bring this message than I am. However, what I do have is you, and I have several years of leading families and pastoring parents of all different kinds of families, of all different shapes and sizes. And so what I wanna bring you are the four family values that I believe uh, run through all great families, uh, that run through fresh families. I'm calling these the four to fight for, all right? Since we're talking about fighting, a fresh family fight, these are the four that we're going to fight for. Now I'm gonna give you kind of the value and then I'm gonna give you the way um, my family, Kristen and I, we say it. We've been working on these as well, you know, for the past year, what these look like in our own home. So let me give you the four to fight for. The first family value to fight for is for fun. Write that down. You gotta fight for fun. The way we say it in our home is that the party never ends, all right? That's how we say it. The party never ends. Is. Now, this might sound simple, it might sound insignificant, but fun, I believe, is a missing ingredient in many families today. And one of the greatest common denominators I see of, of fresh families is that they know how to have fun. Now, I'm not going to be able to wear this all day because you're not going to pay attention. But a lot of times, families are all work and no play. A lot of times we're too busy, we're too serious, we're too stressed out, too much, you know, kind of running around, uh, too, too negative, too worn out. Like what kid wants to come home from school to that? And the average family really is all work and no play. And I realize there is a tension to manage here because work has to get done. School has to get done. Schedules have to get done. But when it only seems like everything is about the schedule, about the calendar, about, about the meetings, right, uh, of the families and, and, and homework and all that, and it's all work and no play, again, I get it. I have four boys and taking them to this sports team and that sports team and, and all these, these clubs, but your family is not, is not a boot camp and parents are not drill sergeants. Your family is not a corporation and parents are not CEOs. Your family is not a laboratory and parents are not mad scientists, however some of you think you are, right? Experimenting on your little ones. We're gonna add a little of this. We're gonna add a little of that, you know, and we're gonna create the perfect kid. There's no such thing. There's no perfect kids. There's no perfect family. So relax and have fun. 
Family is less of a science and more of an art. And the Bible talks a lot about the family. In fact, God's word tells us that we should work hard. You gotta work hard. In fact, Proverbs says that, that if you're lazy, you shouldn't even eat. You shouldn't even eat bread if you're gonna be lazy about it. But it also says that we should play hard too, that we should party. And I'm not talking about just the kids. I'm talking about adults. Look at Ecclesiastes 8.15. This is Solomon, the wisest man on earth. God said, what do you want? And Solomon said, I want wisdom. And so God granted him wisdom and wealth to go along with it. And Solomon, from his wisdom, says this, I recommend having fun. Did you know that was in the Bible? Have fun. Enjoy life. Have fun because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That's my life verse right there. At least the eat part and enjoy life part. Some of you take the drink part a little too seriously, but another message. Eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way, he says, they will experience some happiness along with, watch this, all the hard work. So you know what that verse says right there? Work hard, play hard. Work hard, play hard. Families need to know how to have fun. And we know this uh, instinctively that play is essential for development. Recess in school is not just to give teachers a break, right, so they, they don't pull their hair out after being with these kids all day. But recess is a, an essential part of development of, of social skills, creative thinking, problem-solving kinds of, of skills as well. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, God generously gives us everything for our enjoyment. You need to know God's desire is for us to enjoy life, not simply endure it. And if you never enjoy life, if you're too busy to enjoy life, frankly, you're just too busy. This is one of the things we need to fight for. We need to fight to have fun. But what I'll hear oftentimes from people, they will say, well, I'll enjoy life when. I'll enjoy, you fill in the blank. I'll enjoy life when, you know, I get that promotion. I'll enjoy life when, you know, I get that position and, and I have more time off. I'll enjoy life when I retire. I'll enjoy life, you know, when we, when we have a little extra money to put in the bank. Proverbs says, a fool says, I'm gonna do this tomorrow. I'm gonna do this the next day when none of us knows if tomorrow will even come. So plan for tomorrow, but parents don't forget to party today. Someone once told me that um, people won't remember what you say but they will remember the way you make them feel. That's great advice for, for parents. That's great advice for an employer, for a boss. People won't remember what you say, but they will remember the way you make them feel. My little ones, you know, growing up when they were three, four years old, they don't remember what I told them in the early years. They, they have no idea, all right? In fact, um, they don't remember what I said three days ago. My wife would argue that none of us remember what she said three minutes ago in my house. They don't remember that, but they will remember the way you make them feel. That's something that they will hold on to. So fight for fun. Fight for fun. Understand the party never ends. Solomon gets a little specific about the ways we are to have fun. In Ecclesiastes 9.9, he says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Hey, dads, one of the best things you can do for your family is to make sure you have a rockin' marriage at home. Did you know that? Like that's one of the greatest things you can do because it creates a stable home. It creates peace that we just sang about inside of, of the house. And when couples will, will say things like, well, we can't afford to go out. We can't afford to have fun. We can't afford to have a, have a date night. 
The Bible tells us to enjoy life with our wife, to have a happy marriage. And they'll say, we can't, we can't afford to do that. We can't afford to get a sitter, so we just don't do anything. Hey, big mistake, serious mistake. Kids need to see that you enjoy life with your wife. They need to see that you enjoy life with your husband. And a date night doesn't have to be, mean go out. It can simply mean get your kids to bed on time because that's, that's you and mama's party time, you know what I'm talking about. Like every single night, get them to bed on time. It doesn't always have to be these extravagant things. Kristen and I, we do, we do a great job really at this because we'll get pushback from our boys. They'll say, why do we have to go to bed? Why do you get to stay up? Late. We don't get to stay up late. You, you hear this thing too, like bedtime is something that's never happened before, but every night, it's a surprise, bedtime. Why do you get to stay up late? Don't you, here's what they say, don't you love us? Yes, but I love mommy more. Get to bed, right? Because God willing, when you're 18 years old, you're gonna get out of the house, I hope, Jesus. But mommy's gonna stick around. And if all your kids ever see you as mom and dad are two like ships passing in the night, then they're gonna grow up thinking that that's what a marriage is, that that's what a relationship is. You are the greatest model, the first and greatest model of relationship in your home. And I know it doesn't always feel like a party. We're gonna talk about that in a couple weeks in this relationship series. But you are the first and greatest model. So, so have fun with your, with your spouse. And the Bible tells us, you know, when it comes to our kids in, in Psalm 127, that they are a gift from God. The children are a gift from God. Sometimes, if we're honest, they're a gift we would like to exchange, but they're a gift. And sometimes you need to remind yourself that they are a gift. When my one-year-old baby Gray just turned one, you know, last weekend, explodes in his diaper, and it's like a volcano up his back, I have to remind myself, you're a gift, you're a gift. God says that you're a gift. But are you partying with your kids or are you just treating them like a project? The party never ends. You gotta fight to have fun. I read a survey this past week. Kids were asked, what's your favorite thing to do with your family? You know what the number one answer was? Board games. Board games. In this age of technology, in the age of, of PlayStations and Wiis and Xbox, the number one thing that kids wanna do with their family are board games. The number two, you know what it is? Go to a park. Like, go to a park. How old-fashioned is that, right? Throw a Frisbee, hang out, go to a park. The number three thing was go to the beach like, and, and spend time at the beach. You know what the, the common denominator is in all three of those? Time with parents, time with parents. I'll have parents say things to me all the time, like, I just don't get it. Like, like I give my kids everything. We got them the latest Xbox, we got them the latest PlayStation, they have all the toys that they want. What more do they want from me? Honestly, they want you. They want your time, they want your affection, they want your attention, they want your focus. We spell love, T-I-M-E. Time is one of the greatest gifts that you can give fresh families fight for fun. We fight for fun. Here's the second thing. If you're taking notes, jot this down. We fight for growth. Fight for growth. Families are, are like a garden. 
You have to cultivate the soil. You have to plant things. You have to fertilize it, right? You have to water it over and over and over in order for it to produce fruit, in order for things to grow. The way we say it in our family is that growing is ongoing. Growing is not optional. It's ongoing. Now, I'm not just talking about the kids. I'm talking about the parents, too, Parents should constantly be pursuing growth as well. Are you encouraging mom to grow? Are you encouraging dad to grow? Not just you know son and daughter or brother or sister, but everyone should be growing. Growing is on going. How do we grow? God details it out for us. Take a look in Luke 2.52. He says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Right here in this verse, we have four different ways we are to grow in. Wisdom is intellectual growth. Stature is physical growth. In favor with God, that's our spiritual growth and development. And in favor with man, that's social growth. Intellectually, spiritually, physically, and socially. You should, a year from now, look different than you do. You should relate different than you do. You should know more. You should have grown and look different. Let me ask you a question. Are you closer to God today than you were a year ago? Like, does your life look different? Are you more patient? Are you more kind? Are you more generous? Are you more loving, right? Have you grown spiritually? Growing is ongoing. In fact, there are certain things that we can only learn in a family. Certain skills that we can only learn in a family that you can't learn at your job, you can't learn at your school, can't learn at your, your, your place of business. In fact, I would argue if you don't learn these things early on in life, uh, as an adult, um, this is gonna create all kinds of problems for you. And I'll give you five things that you have to learn in a family, five areas that we need to grow in. And that is number one, how do I deal with how I feel? Write that down. And I'm talking about feelings. In a family, you are supposed to learn early on how to identify, how to call out, how to name, right? How to work through correctly your feelings. How to own up to your feelings. How to learn to express your, your feelings. And you can only learn this in a family. And how not to stuff them. Because if you don't learn this in a family, how to, how to deal with this, you will walk through life emotionally disabled, not knowing how to deal with this stuff. And it's gonna show up in all different kinds of ways later on as an adult. In fact, the reason why many marriages don't, don't make it the distance, don't last a lifetime, is because mom or dad never learned this growing up, never learned to, to deal with how they feel. And if you're constantly finding yourself as a parent uh, telling your little one, stop crying, stop crying, Suck it up, you know, stop, stop whining, don't be such a baby. Listen, there's nothing wrong with crying. There's nothing to be ashamed of with crying. I'm not saying that there's always a reason to cry, but you need to teach them how to deal correctly with how they feel. Not that there's always a reason to be crying. My, my boys growing up, like if there was a, a pickle on their Christian chicken sandwich, they would lose their mind. It was game over. Like three, four, five years old, you know, they, they would know even if the pickle had been on there, there were still juice remnants, you know, pickle juice left on that sandwich and tears, they would, you could always tell, they start blinking. <laughs> and they blink. And they start blinking and then a little tear would, it's like, why are you crying? 
But if all I said was, hey, stop crying, stop crying. No, we don't do that. Okay, it's not, you know, I don't know why you're crying. You're crazy. But we need to teach them, is this something to cry about? Is this good? Is this bad? Is this, is this harmful? But don't tell them don't, 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 because all they're doing is stuffing it. And if all you've ever done growing up is stuff your emotions, stuff your emotions, stuff your emotions, stuffed emotions eventually surface. And they come out in all kinds of strange ways as an adult. So you learn how to deal with that feeling, with that emotion. The second skill you have to learn in a family uh, is how to deal with differences. Write that down. I'm talking about conflict. And again, this is another huge one because if you don't learn this skill early on in your family, this is going to uh, impede progress and communication later on as, as adults. And so parents, this one really is on you. Your children need to observe you dealing with conflict in a positive way. The couples that, that I would talk to in premarital counseling, um, the ones that would terrify me to death are the ones that would say, you know, Pastor Colby, we've never had a fight. Like, like we've never argued about anything. Our love is perfect. We're like two little unicorns flying through the air together. <laughs> Everything's beautiful. How long have you been together? Three days, you know, right? No, it's just whatever. <laughs> like we've never had a fight. And the couples that would tell me we've never had a fight, I would say, I'm not marrying you. Like there's no way I'm marrying you until you have a fight. And until you really learn how to fight well to do it well, how to handle conflict in your marriage. Because what happens when, you know, uh, two weeks into the marriage and all of a sudden they have a fight? All of a sudden someone's like, I don't know what to do with these feelings of hatred towards my fellow unicorn, you know, in this moment. <laughs> it goes south real quick, doesn't it? So you need to learn how to deal correctly with, with differences, with, with conflict. In a marriage, and just so you know, most people become one of two things. You either become, uh, in conflict, a mute or a maniac. Mutes, right, just hold it in. Don't say anything. Maniacs just explode all over the place. Or we could, we could say, in a marriage, you're either a skunk or a turtle. Skunks, when they're upset, they let everybody know by stinking up the place, don't they? They smell it all up. They're ticked off, and everyone knows who the skunk is. Turtles, what do they do? They tuck in, pull their head into their shell, isolate themselves, right? Don't want to, to deal with conflict, avoid it in all cases. And what's funny, in a marriage, there's, there's both of those all the time. A skunk always marries a turtle. It's true. Like every single time. In fact, you know who you are right now. Point to the skunk in the relationship. Go for it. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And by the way, like, neither one of those are good ways to deal with conflict. There's not a more godly one than the other. Well, I'm a turtle, I'm meek, and I'm mild, I'm quiet. No, you're avoiding conflict. Both of those ways are totally ineffective for handling conflict. So you need to learn to deal with your differences. The third thing you have to learn in a family is how to deal with defeat. And this is huge. How to handle loss. You need to teach your kids early on that nobody wins all the time. Because what happens when they get out into the real world and they have a boss and their boss is not handing out participation awards for showing up to work on time, right? 
And all of a sudden, they're devastated. They have no idea how to deal with, with not winning all the time. You need to lose. And I would, I would argue you need to lose early on in life when the stakes aren't as high and, and learn from those losses before you get into you know, what matters most in life. It's like a college team entering into the, the NCAA tournament. Like I'm a huge Kentucky fan. Well, we don't want UK going into the tournament you know, uh, like without a loss. Because, you know, then every, they got a target on their back, but they also haven't learned how to, how to deal with that. And everybody's gunning for them. It's okay to lose, but you need to learn from your losses and move on. The Cleveland Browns have taken this okay to lose thing to a whole nother level, <laughs> right? They get this principle, maybe in a bad way. But if you're gonna lose, which you are, every single one of us will, we need to lose early in the season and then learn from it. In fact, one of the greatest games that you can use as a tool to, to help teach this to your pre preschooler is this game right here. How many of you played shoots and ladders? You remember shoots and ladders? Preschool parents are like, yeah, yeah. How many of you hope to never see shoots and ladders again? Okay. <laughs> shoots and ladders is a metaphor for life because what happens is you roll the dice, you land on a ladder, what do you do? You go up. You elevate your position, um, and you roll the dice again, you land on a chute, and you go down. And this is what happens in life, and this teaches our, our little ones that it's not all ups all the time. It's not all ups, because sometimes in life, you're ahead. Sometimes in life, things are, are going well, but other times in life, in the roll of a dice, it seems like, you are behind. So chutes and ladders is a great tool to teach our kids not only how to win graciously, but that losing will not destroy you. That it's okay to lose, to learn from, from your losses, to deal with them and move on. Shoots and ladders, in fact, is a biblical game. Let me show it to you, Proverbs 24, 16. Great verse to memorize. It says, the godly may trip seven times, fall down that chute. The godly, the good, the righteous, those of us that are trying to do good, we all mess up. We all fail, we all fall. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up. Falling is not failing. Not getting up is. Falling is not failing. You need to learn from those, those failures. And when you fall in this, you're like, all right, you won that intense round of shoots and ladders. Put me back in, coach. You know, cut me, Mick. You know, whatever, I don't know. I'm gonna do it again. And this time I'm gonna learn. In fact, I would tell you that the, the people who are successful, the success, successful leaders of the world, successful is a hard word to say, by the way. <laughs> leaders of the world, right? I, I don't think they're more gifted than any of you, more talented than any of us, but they learned the key to that is resilience. It's resilience. It's that when you fall, you get back up. You don't give up, you get back up. Parents, are you teaching your little ones resilience? Because here's often what we do. We don't teach them resilience, we just reward for everything. We rescue for everything. We play sports with our little ones where everybody's a winner all the time. Well, that's not real world. Am I the only dad that thinks a t-ball game should keep score? Like, they have to learn how to navigate some of these things in life because for the rest of their life, they're gonna face adversity. 
for the rest of, of their life, they're gonna face challenges and they need to learn to get back up. It's, it's one of the greatest things you can teach your little ones to get back up. The fourth thing, we'll keep moving, that, that you can learn from families, only learn in families, I believe, is what values matter most. What values are the most important? Because would you agree that the values that the world is pushing on our little ones aren't so good? The values that the world says are important. They, they'll tell you that image is what, what, is, what, what counts. Not character, but image. Everything is about your looks. The value that the world teaches is that money is what matters, right? Money is, is what makes you happy, that, that your success and significance is defined by the amount of money that you have. The world teaches us that everything is about sex. Some of the guys just woke up in the room. Sex, what? Sex, sex? I wanna welcome you to Elevate Church. My name's Colby, I'm the pastor here. <laughs> but that's what the world teaches us, right? That it's all about sex. It's all about sex and money and our image. And whether you agree with it or not, or whether you like it with or not, like it or not, this is what our kids are learning from music, from, from TV, from social media. They're learning this from the internet. And the answer for us is not to build a bubble, to isolate ourselves, be smart, be proactive against these things. My, my wife just installed this thing called Force Field. I think she got it from Focus on the Family on our kids' devices. Like, be smart and proactive, but most importantly, teach your little ones the three big temptations. You know what they are? The Bible calls them the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the three big ones. In fact, the only good thing you can say about Satan is that he's predictable. There's never a new temptation. It's all the same old tricks all the time. This is how he tempted Jesus. This is how Adam was tempted in the garden. Moses, I could take you throughout all of scripture. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. The way we say it is, is passion or pleasure, possession, and position. Passion, possession, and position. You need to teach your kids how to identify the counterfeit values that the world is pushing. And I would encourage you to do this this week. We, I tried this with my boys on, on Thursday and Friday. I set them down in front of the TV and I said, if you can identify what value that that commercial, by the way, every commercial ad appeals to one of those. Passion, possession, or position. Every single one of them is trying to appeal to that, that nature that you have. And so I set them down and said, if you can tell me you know, which commercial promotes which value, right, I'll give you a quarter, if you can tell me it and tell me why. I realize I was promoting the value of materialism, all right, <laughs> but whatever, right? I'm still teaching them how to recognize, how to identify the message that the world says is valuable. And you need to be the one to teach your kids what matters most, because if you don't, someone else will. If you abdicate your responsibility, your godly responsibility as a parent to tell them what values matter most, like your gym class will, health class will, um, uh, your, their, their friends will, some idiot on Facebook will. That is our responsibility to teach our kids what matters most. It's the last thing they can only learn in a family and real quickly is good habits. Good habits. Habits uh, really determine your character and you need to make sure they have good habits. Now, if growth is, is something that we are to fight for as families, then how do we grow? Like how, do we, how do we encourage each other 
to grow? How do you help mom grow? How do you help dad grow? How do you help your little ones to grow? I'm gonna give you two ways that do and two ways that don't. These are growth creators and growth killers. Real quick, the growth creators are example and conversation. Write that down. Example and conversation. We get this from Jesus in John 13. He said, since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. He says, I have given you this example to follow. Do as I have done. I'm giving you this, this example. Your kids don't want to hear a sermon from you. They want to see a sermon from you. They want to see it through the way that you live your life, through example, and then also through conversation. And I would say your kids don't know what, what you don't tell them. And what happens is a lot of our conversations end up being about schedules and about you know, homework and about school and all that stuff is important, but never about the stuff that really matters the most. And Deuteronomy 6 tells us as parents that we gotta teach these commands to our children. Repeat them again and again and again to your children. Talk about them, circle these at home. Talk about them um, when you're road tripping, when you're taking walks. Talk about them when you're putting them to bed. Talk about them when you're getting up in the morning. Make it this fluid part of your life. Capitalize on the teachable moments of life. This is something I think Kristen and I do really well with our boys. I don't know if this will surprise you. I don't know if this uh, will offend you, but we don't have a family devotion time with our little boys. It's not like our boys run to dinner with their Bibles open going, Papa, Papa, show me. <laughs> and we don't do that. We just keep it more fluid. We do things like, hey, hey, what's the value the world's promoting in that commercial? Hey, 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 you know, what are some of these, these commands that we can talk about? How, how is this impacting your life right now? We'll, we'll put it up on our board, like our, our, our phrase, our word for the year uh, has to do with making great choices in our family. So we'll put Proverbs up there about wisdom and about the direction, the road that we should, should take. We just make it more fluid through example and conversation. And then let me tell you what doesn't work. Here's the growth killers, criticism and comparison. Hey, can I tell you something? Criticism has never worked. Nagging has never worked. Complaining has never worked. Long-term lasting growth does not come through criticism and condemnation. Like, it, it never helps. Like, it might help for the moment. It might help for a temporary kind of change, behavioral change, but it never produces sustained change in someone's life. Why? Because criticism focuses solely on the negative behavior. And always the negative, always the negative, never promoting the positive behavior, but always reinforcing those negative thoughts. It was kind of like when I was coaching T-ball. I did coach T-ball uh, for a little bit until I realized we weren't keeping score. I said, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Just kidding, I'm kidding. But these little kids would come up, four or five years old, right? And they hit that ball, and then oftentimes what they do is throw the bat. They throw the bat. And so the parents, you know, that are in the back, those are the ones paying for it, right? Hitting, getting hit in the shins, getting hit in the family heirlooms, like getting hit like everywhere. Those are the, the things that show up on AFV and different stuff like that. But they're, they're throwing the bat, hit the ball, throw the bat. And a lot of times you'd hear parents yell at them, don't throw the bat, don't throw the bat, don't throw the bat. So when that kid's walking up to the batter's box, getting ready to hit, his dad's yelling at him, don't throw the bat this time. Don't throw the bat this time. What's in his mind? Throwing the bat. 
He's just been given this picture over and over of, of throwing the bat. Instead, you know, saying, hey, you're going to hit that ball. You're gonna crush the snot out of that ball. I know you are. And when you do, what I want you to do is see yourself laying that bat down and then running to first base. So I'm not reinforcing the negative. I'm promoting the positive. If all they ever do is hear the criticism, the negative, you are guaranteed that that's the behavior you're going to get. And if it's criticism after criticism after criticism after criticism, just like you would, just like I would, your kids eventually will go, forget it. I give up. If I can't measure up, I give up. If, if I'm not ever good enough, if I can't ever get this done, if, you know, if not good enough for mom, not good enough for dad, then I give up, just like we would. You think I'm lazy now? I'll show you. You think I don't get my homework done now? I'll show you. Judging, criticism, belittling, demeaning, it never works. And by the way, it doesn't work in preaching either. Like, let's try it out. If you came in here this morning, I'll say, hey, welcome to Elevate Church. So glad that you guys are here. I just wanna start by saying today, you all suck royally. Like, you're failures, you're miserable, you sin all week long. I can't believe you would do that. Hey, uh, hope to see you next Sunday. Have a great week. Who's coming to that church? Like, nobody. Like, nobody wants to go to that. Nobody's gonna hear that over and over. There might be things that you need to hear, but consistently criticizing, con condemning. Like, nobody's coming back to that. Not to mention, you already know what you're doing wrong. I already know what I'm doing wrong, and having someone point it out does not help, but I would rather point you to something better. Like, that's where real change happens. It's called being life-giving. Not pointing to the negative, but pointing to the positive change that God wants to happen in our lives. And we're no different. Ephesians 6, 4, uh, as dads and parents, it says, hey, don't scold. Don't provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Stop you know, criticizing over and over and over. Don't be so hard that you drive your kids to resentment. And then there's, there's comparing. Anytime you compare someone to someone else, uh, you've already made a huge mistake. And here's why. Because you are incomparable. There's no one else like you. So when people would say things like, hey, Colby, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like so-and-so? Because I'm not so-and-so. And neither are you. And you're not a one-size-fits-all. Comparison doesn't work either. And if you don't believe me, husbands, like try it this week. Compare your wife to someone else and see how well that goes for you. <laughs> All right? It's not gonna go well. You're gonna be headed for the big D, don't mean Dallas. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna sing every single week. I've, that's my New Year's resolution. <laughs> every single week. In fact, look at this verse, Galatians 6, 4 says, each one of you should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing them to someone else. Comparison, criticism, those are growth killers. All right, the next thing that we need to fight for is, hang on one second. All 
I went from Mark Chestnut to rapping just now. Like, the Bob FM's got nothing on me. <laughs> Matthew 45, sorry, 545 says this. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What this is saying is that, you know, those who do good, the just or the unjust, it doesn't matter that it rains on all of us at some time. That you're all gonna go through days in your life. So rather than saying, God, why is this happening to me? Just know that we live in a fallen and broken world and that you and I will go through storms of life. That's why, number three, is that we need to fight to protect each other. You need to be there for your family when the storms of life come. Fight for protection of one another because it rains on both the good and the bad. It rains on those who want to do good. It rains on those who don't care. And our families act as covering. Our families act as a raincoat in the storms of life. Fight to protect each other. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says two are better than one for they can help each other succeed. That's your goal as a family, is to help one another because what happens when those rains come, what happens when those storms come and one person falls, then the other person can reach down and pick them up. You will go through storms in life, but families fight to protect each other. The way we say it in our house is, we must protect this house, or just protect the house, protect the house. And we'll all go through different kinds of storms. This thing is hot. Storms of, of change, storms of, of rejection, uh, storms of, of, of some, some bad ideas that the world is pushing. We all go through, through storms in life, and we need to be there to protect one another. And the last thing, the last thing, I'm going to have the worship band come on out, and that is we need to fight to serve God and others. Fight to serve God and others. One of the ways... Uh, real quick about protection is we, we protect one another by being planted, by being planted together as a family in a stable environment, but also by being planted together in God's church. And in God's church is where we learn a lot about this one, about how we fight to serve God and to serve others the way that we say it in our house. And all these symbols are just to help you remember is that ultimately it's not about me. It's not about me. That your family is called to live on mission. Each one of you together, united as a family, serves a higher purpose. And the way that we serve God ultimately is by serving, serving others. So in our family, we model serving what matters to God. And that's people, that's the world that he's, he's created. That's people who are far from him, the people who have the least families together, they fight to serve God and to serve others. Ultimately, awesome families, they don't happen on accident. They happen uh, intentionally. As you fight for fun, as you fight uh, to grow together, as you fight to protect one another, and as you fight to serve God and others. And can I just tell you, by the way, we don't say it, but this is what our Elevate Kids ministry is all built on. We want, to, we want them to have fun. We really want your little ones to, to, feel, to feel protected and, and safe. We really want them to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. And man, we're, we're, we're pushing growth back there. 
We want them to know how to serve God and to serve others. Now, if you're here, I was talking with some families last night. They're saying, man, I wish I'd have learned all this earlier in life. I sure do feel like a failure. That's not the point. That you get to start today. You get to decide today what part of this you can take, what part of this you can apply, that let this be the day you rise up and say, all right, as Joshua said, choose today for whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We'll serve God and serve others. Let's do this. Would you bow your heads all around this room? And just for a moment, take an opportunity to to respond to God's spirit moving in your heart and in your life. Is your family identified by fun and, and you're enjoying life or are you enduring it? And everything is a project, everything is a schedule, everything is this or that. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe things need to change just a little. Are you growing? Does your family together look differently today than it did a year ago? Are you growing uh, in, in faith towards God? Are you growing spiritually? Are you growing physically, mentally? Do you know more than you, than you did before? Are you protecting each other? If we're honest, probably many of us aren't and haven't but you are there to serve as a raincoat in the storms of life that your family's going through. And instead of getting bitter about it, we should get better. Better at loving, better at pulling each other in. And then ultimately, understanding our purpose as a family, to serve God, to serve others, to point people to Jesus and the love that we've experienced. Now there are those of you in this room, maybe you haven't experienced that love, And while we're praying, I wanna give an opportunity just to tell you about it. That for God so loved you, that he created you with a purpose, on purpose, for a purpose. The Bible says that you are a masterpiece. That before you were born, you were knit together in your mother's womb, that God knew who you were. And he also knew that this is the moment that you would hear once again how much he loves you. And that he loves you so much that he sent his son, his one and only son, what was most precious to him and his family, to die for you, to pay for your sins, to pay for all the ways that we get it wrong, all the ways that we mess up, because no one's perfect all the time. And the moment we choose to turn from the way we live life and put our faith and trust in salvation and forgiveness that Jesus offers through his death on the cross, the Bible says that we're saved that we have this fresh start, we have this new beginning, that the old is gone, the new has come, and so many of us, that's what we're desperate for, that fresh start, that new beginning, that peace that only comes with understanding that we are saved, rescued, redeemed, that our sins aren't counting against us anymore, that unbelievable peace that comes from knowing Christ. And the way we do that's through prayer, and I wanna lead you in a prayer right now that gives you an opportunity to to place your life in his hands, to trust God for forgiveness of your sins. And you'd say, Colby, when you pray that prayer, I'm gonna pray it right along with you today. Like today, I'm gonna confess that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus 
in my life. If that's you today, without looking around, would you just raise your hand wherever you are in this room? I wanna pray for you specifically. God bless you guys up front. God bless you, God bless you. Awesome. Praise God for you, bud. Praise God. Pray this prayer out loud. Whisper it in your heart. God knows. Jesus, today, I realize that I'm lost without you. And I realize the sacrifice that you made for my sin on the cross. And so today I'm asking that you would forgive me for doing this on my own, for going my own way. I repent of my sin and I turn toward you. And I turn toward your forgiveness and your unconditional love and your, your, uh, your, your saving grace for me. And so from this moment, I choose to follow you. I'm gonna do the best I can to be a servant of yours, to serve you, and ultimately, God, to serve others through you. So Jesus, thank you for this new life, and now you have mine in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, celebrate with those today. We're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.